singing that song, I'm just sending you that link if you're on the text messaging service. All right? So if you get text messages from church, you're going to get this song. All right? Uh, and if you're not on the text messaging service and you still don't want to be on it, but you want that song, sorry. Um, no, no, just text me and I'll, I'll send you the link, okay? Um, all right. So you know that we're in this section of First Peter, full of difficult passages. And this week we kind of wrap up this series of difficult passages. And I kind of feel like I'm out of, out of uh, I'm in deeper water this morning. I'm a bit out of, out of my league. Um, I kind of feel like C.S. Lewis this morning. When he was writing on faith, so in Mere Christianity, he has two chapters on faith, and in the second chapter on faith, he writes this to introduce the topic, and I'm just saying, I feel a lot like C.S. Lewis, except about a different topic. Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. There are a great many things that cannot be understood until after you have gone a certain distance along the Christian road. Well, these things are purely practical, though they do not look as if they were. They are directions for dealing with particular crossroads and obstacles on the journey. And they do not make sense until a man has reached those places. Of course, all of this tells against me as much as anyone else. The thing I am going to try to explain in this chapter may be ahead of me. I may be thinking I have got there when I have not. I can only ask instructed Christians to watch very carefully and tell me when I go wrong and others to take what I say with a grain of salt as something offered because it may be a help, not because I am certain that I am right. What, what Lewis is saying here is there are some things in the Christian life that you just got to live long in before you fully understand them, or at least you can explain them at a particular depth or practicality. Well, this morning I feel that way about this particular passage. This morning we're talking about husbands and wives. Just so we're clear, my wife is in the audience. So anything I say today that may sound offensive or tough to hear, just understand, I am living in the same uncomfortable uh, environment that you are. And so is Tess. Alright? So I just, I just, I struggled with the passage because I'm not sure I've, I've lived long enough in this thing to even know exactly how all this works out in our American context. Tess and, I'll, Tess and I will be married 20 years in July, and I still think I have a long way to go to maybe understand how all this gets fleshed out. Some of you who have been much longer on that journey are looking at me saying, absolutely, yes, you're still a young one. You have no idea what you're talking about. I get it. But we're going to sit in God's Word, and I've studied it. I've, I've, I've looked over and sat with it long, but I just want you to understand we come at this as people living this out in real life. And so we take that journey through the Bible, particularly this difficult passage. Now let me say this also before we ever get to, the, to our main text. There are certain principles that we need to use when we interpret the Bible. So for example, you need to understand who's talking to who. That's always very important to understand who's talking to who. Because you don't want to take... Uh, the application or take some word from God as a word to you when it was a prophet speaking to another prophet, something that was actually heretical. You want to understand who's talking to who in the Bible. Well, there's this big principle. There's this big principle I want to make sure lays the foundation before we ever get into the passage. Now, this is what's called a hermeneutical principle. 
Hermeneutics is the study of how to interpret any text, particularly now we're talking about the Bible. Here's the principle. I'm taking this from R.C. Sproul's book, Knowing Scripture. It's a wonderful little book. And he has this principle that I think has to guide us this morning. He says this, the implicit, that is the thing that is a bit unclear, the implicit must be interpreted by the explicit, rather than the explicit interpreted by the implicit. That is, it's always important to interpret obscure passages by those that are clear. Now, though we affirm the basic clarity of sacred scripture, we do not at the same time say that all passages are equally clear. All passages are not equally clear. And so we make sure that we nail down clear passages, and then we bring into the conversation those unclear ones. So I want to start with some very clear passages. Then we'll move in to 1 Peter, which is a bit more unclear. So we'll start with the, in the beginning. Genesis 1, 27-28, here's a very clear statement about men and women. We read this, So God created man in his own image, and he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Every human being created in the image of God, and what could capture the image of God? Male and female. God spoke to both of them to have a responsibility governing the world. I want you to say that one more time. Man and woman were created in the image of God. Equal in value, not one inferior to the other, and both of them were given the responsibility to govern the earth. That's great responsibility, both. So we're not talking here about one inferior to the other. Now, there may be different roles, but we are definitely not talking about the inferiority, uh, some type of inferiority or lesser than value. Male and female. And he said to them to govern. Then when you bring this all the way up into the Christian, uh, in the Christian context, here's what Paul writes in Galatians 3, verse 26 through 28. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Now there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Now this isn't, this isn't that we get rid of distinctions. There really are such things as such a thing as a man today. And there really is such a thing as a female today, okay? A woman. These distinctions don't go away. And I don't care what, where our society goes, those distinctions are going to hold forever and ever and ever. Anatomy matters. There are still distinctions. But in Christ, everyone participates in the promise. You don't get left out because you're a, you're a Gentile. And only the Jews get it. No, Jew and Gentile. Just because you're really wealthy and you might be an employer, that doesn't mean you get in on all the promises and then everyone who has little or nothing, they get left out. No, in Christ, they all join as heirs of the promise. So, that's the Christian context. Man and woman both share in the promises. One is not less than the other. Just to be clear, let me summarize it this way. 
whatever else the passage today from First Peter, whatever else it says, it does not say that women or wives are in any way inferior or less valuable than men or husbands. All right? So I think yeah, that's right. I just heard someone say, that's good. Yes, very good. Very good. All right. That's the foundation. Those are very clear passages. Now let's step into the unclear. Get ready. You might twitch. Our modern ears. This is hard for our modern ears. Here it is. First Peter. Chapter 3, we'll go with verse 1 through 6. We're reading this out of the Christian Standard Bible. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way, by the way their wives live. When they observe your pure, reverent lives, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles, wearing gold jewelry, or fine clothes. But rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Does that hit you a certain way? It can be a tough passage. So what I want to do is let's start walking through that passage because it sure does sound like women, you get under the you get under the foot of your man and live with it. It sure does seem to be what it sounds like when you hit the modern ear. It says, "But no, I'm a woman in the 21st century. I'm making my own way." But we want to walk through that passage. Here it is. He starts off by saying, "In the same way." This is very important on how the passage starts because we have to understand where we've been and where we've been is. Peter has literally been walking through a series of commands to Christians there in the first century dealing with how Christians are to live under human institutions of authority. Paul starts from the position that there is an order of authority in the world. There's an order of authority when it comes to civil government. There's an order of authority and the employer-employee relationship. There's an order of authority established by God. It doesn't mean the boss is more valuable than the employee, but it does mean there is an order of authority. And, and that's the way God has created the world, and it's the way the world particularly works in its fallen state. There's an order of authority. So how does that look for the marriage context, the marriage relationship? That's what he says next. So this is where, this is where we have to come under, understanding the context This is why he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Marriage has an order of authority. This is probably the thing that rubs us the wrong way. What? You mean the man has authority over the wife? That just sounds sounds too much. That's a road I can't travel. This for me, this for me, is where I come under the authority of God's Word and don't stand in judgment of God's Word. Does this make sense? What I'm saying is, in our modern context, as a sophisticated 21st century man, I'm not supposed to believe stuff like that. I stand above those kind of things, and I judge what is appropriate and not appropriate. But because I come under the Lordship of Christ, this is one of those instances where I don't fully understand it, but I come under the authority of God's Word. And so I'm, I'm saying... 
there is some type of order of authority in the marriage relationship that I may not fully understand and I may even struggle with, but I come under that authority because it's God's Word. And if it's not that, then I've decided that I'll be my own God. And I've tried that route. It doesn't go well. So I'm going to come under God's Word. So that's where we that's where we sit. There is an order in this relationship. This is the road I don't know how to walk, just so you know. I don't exactly know what all that looks like. I don't know exactly what it practically means for a man to have the authority. In some generations, it means that woman's going to stay in her house, and she's going to do laundry, cook food, and, and have kids. And that's about what it means to be a woman. I don't think that's where Peter is on this passage. I don't think that's where he is at all. We wouldn't see husband and wives going into ministry together. We wouldn't see Paul having such such kind and 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 um, proud words for women in Romans chapter 16. I, I don't think this is a command for women. You better keep your place. But there is an order of authority in the home, and the husband has authority over the wife. But I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. In 20 years, when we come back through, I'll have a little more for you. Okay? And I'm just telling you, I've read commentaries on this. Very smart people studying the original languages. Let me tell you that I could stand here and tell you what all these words mean in their original context or their at least their semantic range, their, the range of meaning for these words. You know what few of these commentators do? Give you down-to-earth practical applications. They don't even got all this figured out. It's one thing to know the original language. Another thing to know, what does this actually mean in my marriage? So I'm just saying we need to recognize at its base there is a there is a um, there is a a relationship of authority in the marriage context. Now let's take it though one step further because now we I think we can at least start to fill out what Peter's saying in the larger context of his command to wives here. So this next section here is for some even some disobey the word that they may be won over. That is there are some husbands that do not believe. That is the immediate context. The immediate context is Paul, uh, Peter's commands to believing wives who are married to unbelieving husbands. Because in the ancient world, if a man comes to Jesus, you're going to take your whole house with you. If a woman comes, it may just be the woman and her kids. If she gets the kids. And so you had a, a, a situation in the ancient world, and this is not the only time this has ever happened, where basically you have women believers, wives who believe in Christ, and yet they're living in a home where the husband does not believe. And what is that woman called to do? She is called to submit to that husband. And what does it mean directly in this passage? One thing it means is you do not leave your husband just because he's an unbeliever. You don't just hightail it out of there. The one way these wives were called to submit was you stay and you live a particular kind of life. Do not divorce your husband. That's a key application. That's a key way that what that means here in this context. Does that mean there's never a context for a wife to divorce their husband? No. It, it, situations of infidelity give, give license for Christians to divorce their spouses because the relationship has already been broken. But in general, if you have an unbelieving spouse, you just don't use the unbelieving fact as the thing that gives you the license to get out of the relationship. Paul says it this way. 1 Corinthians, he's got a whole chapter where he talks about marriage. It's another very difficult chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12-13, through 13, he says this, But I, not the Lord, 
That's very interesting. We're not going to talk about what does that mean. But he says this, I say to the rest, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. That's one way she is to submit. You stay in it. You stay in it. You stay in the marriage and you don't leave. Now, there's this other way, though, that they're called, they're called uh, to, to, um, to submit, and that is by living a particular kind of life. Her way of life will make all the difference. At least it has a potential to make all the difference. Just so we remember how he says it, he says, the way their wives live. So he's saying part of the way a wife submits is, number one, you don't just leave, you submit, you stay, but secondly, you live a particular way. Just so we remember what Peter says on how a wife's supposed to live. Again, this is one of those things. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles, wearing gold jewelry, or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality, gentle and quiet spirit, great worth in God's sight. So, you, so the question right here on the table is, is this a command not to wear nice clothes? And women, are you not allowed to do your hair ever again? And you better not wear any gold jewelry. I'm already looking at some of you. Bad news, y'all. Wearing jewelry. You're not supposed to wear jewelry. Is that what Peter's saying? I mean, is this really where we've come to? No. I'm going to read you a, a bit of a longer explanation from one biblical scholar. Now, I'm just going to tell you. I didn't talk to Tess about this. Where, where, where we're going to go here in a second in the quote. I didn't ask her because I believe it is easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I want you to understand that where I will place a little comic humor, it was the commentator who gave me the opportunity. I didn't create the quote. And I don't know that this commentator knew how funny what he was saying really was. You'll know where it is when we get to it. Here we go. Here's what he says this passage means. Oh, man, I forgot that passage. We'll come back to it, Carol. Let's read this. I'll read this next one, and then we'll come back to Song of Solomon. The text literally says, so this is, if you just go word for word, here's what the text says. Let not your adorning be the outward adorning of braiding of hair and wearing of gold or putting on of clothing. It is incorrect, therefore, to use this text to prohibit women from braiding their hair or wearing gold jewelry. For by the same reasoning, one would have to prohibit putting on of clothes. And I'm not sure I'd be opposed to that. Maybe that's what the prohibition is. You're not allowed to wear anything. You saw it, didn't you? Okay. I'm so sorry, honey. I, it just was there. Because when I read that, I was like, yes, that's actually what it means. Tess, we have to have a conversation. Okay. This is, this is, this is biblical. Okay. All right. Okay. So... All right, I'm just getting red in the face. Okay, all right. Peter's point is not that any of these are forbidden, but that they should be, uh, that they should not be a woman's adorning. That is her source of beauty. Like you can look nice, go look nice. Actually, another commentator says you want a surefire way to lose your husband. Just let yourself go to pot. Just don't take care of yourself. That's that's the way you can lose your man. So, so the point is here is a balance, but what you don't want is for all of your value to be caught up in your outward appearance. Here's how another scholar says it very concisely. He says this, Christian wives should be devoted not to temporal beauty, but the lovely adornments of godliness. That's the key. 
Now, I want to go back to that Song of Solomon passage. This is a, a, a book of, I'm just going to say it because it's reality. It's erotic poetry. Um, and it's in the context of a godly relationship, how a husband wants their, his wife and how the wife wants her husband. Um, now, there's a lot of other ways to interpret that book, uh, but the Song of Solomon is a rich book of poetry. In the start of the book, look at what the husband's praising his wife for. How lovely are your cheeks, how your, your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck enhanced by a string of jewels. He's praising his wife for how good she looks because of her adornments, her jewelry. Jewelry is okay. But if your life is sucked up in your jewelry or your hair or what you wear, there's the problem. Because if you look great on the outside, but you're rotting on the inside, you miss the point. That's what Peter's calling these women to, is something on the inside. Okay. Now that's really key in all this. Because if you remember where Peter's been going in this whole section, Christians, how you live in pagan society, you know what Christians, you Christians, all of you, you know how you're supposed to live in a pagan society? Do good. Do good. It's who you are. It's what's, it's the sanctification happening on the inside. You do good. To civil governments, you submit to civil governments, you do good. To, to you employees, you do good even if it's a bad boss. I want you to see that theme running through. Check this out. Let's go to this first one. Conduct yourselves, 1 Peter 2.12, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they observe what? Your good works. Go to this next one. Here it is. Christians submitting to civil governments. 1 Peter 2.15, for it is God's will that you, that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. And then, when it comes to Christian employees submitting to employers, remember, that's how we talked about the slave-master relationship. We won't go back and, 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 and go over that ground again. But employers and uh, employees and employers. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor to God. If you do what? If you do good. You're called to do good. And what are these wives called to do when they're living in a, with a non-believing spouse, these non-believing husbands, what are they called to do? They are called to live godly lives. That same theme's been running through this whole section. So, honestly, this isn't, very, this isn't some crazy, this crazy passage out of nowhere for Peter. He sees all of these relationships of authority, and he says, if you're a Christian... You stay in that relationship, you submit as much as you can, and you do good because that's where God has you. You do good. You can't fix everything at the top, but you can do good where you are. And by the way, just so we're clear, who else submitted even in injustice to injustice? Jesus. So you might go, well, I can't believe Peter would be asking wives to do this. Well, he's, he's asking employees to do this. He's asking everyone to do this related to civil government, that is, every Christian. This actually falls right in line with the, with the wider context of the passage. So wives, Christian wives, as much as you're able, and I'm saying outside of an abusive relationship, or a relationship that is riddled with adultery and infidelity, as much as it is possible, you Christian wives, respect your husbands. Treat them kindly. And may you do good in your home. That's a strong call. 
doesn't make you inferior. It doesn't make you less valuable. But that's where God has you. And you honor your husbands in that way. Now, husbands. Ah, I actually think there's even a more difficult part uh, for the husbands. Let's read it. We're going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Here it is, verse 7. In the same way, in the same way. So that means, that means you husbands aren't off the hook. You also are in this relationship of authority, and as one holding authority, guess what? You'll be held to a higher standard. So if you think you're off the hook, and this is just really easy, no, you actually have a lot on your shoulders on this one. Here it is. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you. You are. But she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Let's walk through it. We're going to do just rapid fire here. Problem. Let's all take a problem in the passage. Different translations say it even more boldly. You women are weak. You're weaker than us men. What does that mean? Here's the way one commentator says it. The reason I'm quoting this commentator is because I think he nailed it. And there's no reason for me to do a double pass. Here's what he says. Just as submission does not imply inherent inferiority for the ones who submit, so the word weaker does not mean the wife is intrinsically weaker in character or intellect than her husband. The word also, that is the word weak, also does not mean that women are spiritually inferior to men. It just means that women generally generally possess less physical strength than men. And I'm just, just, can we acknowledge that in general, men, the way men are built, is stronger than women. Now, I'm not saying you're going to not see some, some really strong women in these Olympics that we're watching right now. There's some women in those Olympics that could whoop me. Whoop me, whoop me good. They're just real strong. But in general, men are built stronger than women physically. And that's what this commentator and many others have b- believed where Peter is, what Peter is saying here. So just, let's just be clear. This isn't Peter saying, you're just weak, get under my foot. That's not what's going on here. Let's do this now. Rapid fire, we're going to highlight some things in the passage and have a strong word, I think, for us men. Let's go to this next slide. Give honor to your wives. Let's just say it this clearly. Do not talk down to your wives. Don't talk down to them. Don't be condescending. Don't leverage your passive-aggressive. And don't use your sarcasm to hurt them. Treat them with honor. Treat them with honor. You know what that means. I don't, I'm not going to give you a million examples, but you know when you're being condescending. And if you have a good wife, you'll know because she's going to let you know. All right? All right. Pat, don't let them get away with it. Don't let it happen. All right. Here it is. Um, let's go to this next one. Here's another tough one. Treat your wife, wife with understanding as you live together. Okay, so there's a couple things going on here. You actually have to get to know your wife. Do you know how you get to know things? You spend time with them. So, so you husbands actually have to spend time with your wives. You just, don't, you just don't know all the details of the NFL by just randomly watching 10 minutes a week. I can t- I tell you that you can't do it. I can't do it. That's what I try to do. I can't do it. I don't know what any of you are talking about talk about the NFL. It's just in the last two weeks I've been watching games. Now I feel like I know something because I'm putting a lot of time in. You have to spend time with your spouse. Now, here's the other thing. You have to live with her. Okay, now you, you probably like, what do you mean live with her? I live with her. I, like, I sleep right next to her. Yeah, I get all that. You're not living with anyone else. 
You're not living with a woman on a computer screen or on your phone screen. You're not texting with other women inappropriately. I'm not saying you can't text the opposite sex. You get the point. You know when it crosses a line. You can't live with someone else. You live with your wife. She's your wife. If you didn't want a wife, you shouldn't have got a wife. But you have a wife, so she's your wife. No other woman's your wife. So you treat her with understanding. You get to know her. What is she like? What makes her happy? You treat her with honor and you, you do things because you know who she is. That's, a, that's an important call for you, Christian husband. The next one. Here's the next thing. He says, equal partner. This is just another clear, just, just so we're all understanding. You're equal. Doesn't mean you have the same role. But you are equal in this thing with God and eternal life. Last one is this. Last one is this. If you don't figure out those other three things, your prayers will be hindered. Here's the most scary piece of the passage. He didn't say this to wives, says to husbands. Sometimes, it, you know, when you think, oh, my prayers aren't going through, my prayers aren't going through. Well, if you're, if you're on your screen all the time looking at other women, your prayers aren't being heard, probably. How we treat our, our wives actually affects the effectiveness of our prayers. Now, that is a scary thought. To think that, that God's, your relationship to God's ear is impacted by how you treat your Christian, uh, how you treat how you treat your wife. That's a very, very significant thing. So, to us Christian husbands, we have a very significant role to love and care for our wives, treat them with honor, and to help lead our home. Now, what that also means is, Christian husbands, when it is all possible, your rear end needs to be in the church building. And you need to lead your family well. Now, do understand, that's when it's possible. I understand jobs. I understand sickness. I understand keeping the kids when one is sick. I get all that. And the reason I say in a church building is because that's one of the best ways to move forward in the Christian life. Not because coming to church gets you more holiness somehow. It's not, there's not a magic formula here. Okay. We have to lead well. And that's a very serious call for us. All right. Not too bad. There's a lot going on there. Let's make some application. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to skirt around the make application for the husband-wife piece. Because honestly, as I've already told you, I'm still working that out. Tess and I are still working that out. I don't have all this figured out. But what I do know is that there's a broad application in the whole section. And that is this. Here's the application for this whole section. The gospel, this is the good news about Jesus, engulfs and affects every part of our lives. Citizenship, employment, relationships, including marriage. Here's how I think we typically live, by the way. I, I struggle with it. I'm sure you struggle with it. Here it is. I'm just going to put it up as an image. I think we typically think about our lives made up of different parts. Like I have my work life. I have my home life. I got my, my citizenship life. I get real involved with that every couple of years. Get real excited about that. That's going to be a real big deal. And, and, and well, usually in that season, I am American first and foremost. But typically, I'm like an employee. I'm a, I'm a pastor or I'm a husband. But, you know, we, we kind of compartmentalize our lives. I mean, you feel this, I'm sure. You go to work and then you come home and you don't want to bring your work with you home, right? You get, we get that. We just kind of compartmentalize it. And, and then we got our Jesus in church. Like here, you're doing your Jesus thing, right? 
You're getting your church on. This is how I hear some people say. Get your church on. This, this is your Jesus time. And then you're going to leave and, and you're going to get mad because someone's driving slow on Old Farm Road. And then you're going to text me and say, I'm mad too. And I'm going to say, I get it. I was there this week. I mean, you get this. By the way, every, every Sunday it appears there's about this 10-second therapy session that you and I have about Old Farm Road. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, so, so what I'm saying is, we, we just this is your Jesus time, but then you go and you do your work time. I think if anything, what Peter's calling every Christian to is to completely blow up that picture. Like throw an, a nuclear bomb on top of it. This is not the way it works if you're a Christian. Here's the way it works. You are first and foremost a Christian. That's who you are. You're a Christian. You are, you are one who has an inheritance, a living inheritance, born into a living hope. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus. That is fundamentally who you are. Who are you? I am a follower of Jesus. Okay, well, who else are you? Okay, well, then from there I'll talk to you about who else. But I am a Christian. That's where it starts. That's what Paul, Peter's saying. You don't see yourself first and foremost as a, 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 a someone who lives in the Roman Empire. You're a Christian who submits to the civil government, even if you don't like it. Because your calling is first and foremost a Christian. Not a Democrat, not a Republican, not an independent. You're not your profession. You're not even your role at home. You're a Christian. From the gospel flows how you live in every other part of your life. So if you're a Christian, you don't just get to determine how you feel. You don't get to determine how you live in your marriage because of how you feel. That'd be a really bad marriage, by the way, if all you did was live in your marriage how you felt. Or you, you only live with your best friend, that is, in your other relationships, by how you felt. Because you don't always feel good. You don't have license to do whatever you feel. People that, people that do whatever they feel, they end up dead, in jail, or miserable. There's probably other options. Those were just real quick for me to rattle off spontaneously. There, life, life doesn't work when you just do what you feel. Your life starts with the gospel. As a citizen, as an employee, as a spouse, as a good friend, and from the gospel flows how you live in all of those. We struggle because we think we're just all these separate things. Peter says, you are fundamentally God's. He determines then how everything else works. That's why we come under and we submit to that. So here's the big thing. We go about our life understanding, I don't get to, I'm not in charge of everything. How would God have me living here? Because I'm under someone else's authority. That's the key to the whole section. From how to be a Christian in a pagan society, from how to be a Christian and and relate to civil government, how to be an employee under an employer, even a bad one, and how to be a spouse even when the marriage is not comfortable. All of it fits under the same rubric. And all of it would do good. Because it flows out of who we are in Christ. Here's your next step. Here's your next step. Do something every day that reminds you that you are first and foremost a Christian. And then act accordingly. I literally don't know what this means for you. Like what this will be for you. You know I'm a big fan of sticky notes. Just write something on a sticky note. Just like put on your bathroom mirror. I am a Christian. You know, I'm a Christian number one. I don't know. Figure out something. Put a reminder on your phone. Remember who, whose. Remember whose you are. Just put that reminder on your phone. Make it come up. 
you know, once a day or something. The goal here is to remember you are not your own. You are under the authority of Christ, and therefore you take that with you into every part of your life. Dad, husband, mayor, city councilman, Don. Every part of your life. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would help us in this. There is abundant life. There is abundant life, like really good life. In your kingdom. So we submit. You have empowered us by grace. You have called us by your grace into a living hope. And we are defined by that. Help any marriage that is struggling in this room or that is listening. Help bring healing. Help wives to, to live with respect in their home as much as possible. And may husbands be drawn to your sons so that they lead with gentleness and kindness and with compassion and love. Would you help husbands and wives grow strong? For those marriages that have dissolved because of of infidelity or unfaithfulness or because of, of such a bad situation there had to be a separating, would you heal those And may they remember you are holding them in your grace and that they are no less loved. So go with us into our week. We remember we are fundamentally followers of Jesus. And then now we work that out practically in ordinary life, what that looks like. And we submit to your authority. We pray that under the name of Christ and together we say, Amen.